Well, thank you for joining us today. And I'm deviating from the series that I have been in for a few weeks to enter a conversation that is uh, across the news media and it's in our culture and it's in our day right now. And my attempt is to bring some conversation to this from the faith community perspective, and that is the subject of racism. We had a uh, conversation we entitled Real Talk Wednesday Night, and it is posted on our social media platforms that you can access, and this is part two of that, and we're going to share it with you today. And I realize going into this, this is an uncomfortable conversation for many, but the purpose of this is to uh, uncover things that may be latent in our culture that may be masking or covering up the sin of racism and hopefully uh, eliminating and participating in the discussion to eliminate systemic racism. I approach this subject recognizing that for some people, what I'm going to say is, is going to be overstated. And then there's going to be some in the room that you're going to feel like I understated it. So I walk down this pathway very discerning and very careful and asking for the wisdom of the Lord and to be able to speak from a biblical perspective, but also with an ear of understanding for the pain that is in America, particularly by the African-American community. I am not here to speak at the African-American community. I'm here to speak up for the African-American community. I'm aware 2017, Colin Kaepernick, who was then playing for the San Francisco 49ers, he was a quarterback, and for one minute and seven seconds, for one minute and seven seconds, he took a knee during the national anthem to register his protest for brutality and racism in America, and there were voices all across America that rose up and criticized him, lambasted him for doing so, and it cost him a very lucrative career. May the 25th, a man by the name of George Floyd, 46-year-old black man on the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota, had a knee upon his neck for nearly nine minutes, and he couldn't breathe. And he succumbed to that and he was killed on the streets of America. I'm aware the voices over Colin Kaepernick in the protest have been silent over the knee that was on George Floyd's neck. And I think that speaks to us today of where we, we are in America and our need to struggle in this issue and to move beyond it. 57 years ago, Martin Luther King on the National Mall delivered that famed speech, I have a dream. 57 years later, we're no longer saying, I have a dream, but it's echoing right now the phrase, I can't breathe. Three words. In fact, it's three syllables, I can't breathe and that wounds my heart so today as a faith community we want to look at that and we're doing it in the context with children and young adults uh, and adults in the room and we're just going to say God we want your word to open the our minds and our hearts so we can address this 
And if we can shine the light of Jesus into something and let God begin the process of guiding America beyond this and moving towards reconciliation. I'm going to invite a friend and a part of our congregation, Antonio Daniels, to join me on the platform right now in a part of this conversation right now. So, Antonio, uh, please come and and join me. Uh, Thank you, Antonio, for this moment. And again, we're here as a faith community, and we want to speak and ask ourselves some uncomfortable questions. And I think we as believers need to be big enough to receive this and ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. So I I ask you, uh, Antonio, how how does racism uh, affect you as a believer, as a black man, as a family man, uh, as a father? How has, how is this moment uh, impacting you and your family? You know, anytime you say the word racism, social injustice, prejudice, and what I've always heard was, here we go again. Hmm. Here we go again. And, and think, think about this. Some of you here, your minds may echo when he said the word racism. Your thought is, I am so tired of hearing about racism. Mm-hmm. Just think, if you're tired of hearing about racism, how tired do you think we are of enduring it? Mm. 45 years. That's how old I am. That I've endured racism to some degree. And mm-hmm. right now, we live in a country that is broken, mm-hmm. a country that is divided, and a country that is angry. Yes. You ask, how does this affect our home? Uncomfortable conversations are important. I've had my own basketball camp in this community for 19 years, my wife and I. And I have a saying at my basketball camp, and it's called become comfortable being uncomfortable. Because I firmly believe that you can't truly transform until you feel discomfort. But America is in a spot and in a place where we don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations, these uncomfortable conversations. As a father, it's heartbreaking when the ignorance and selfishness of this country to watch it rip out the innocence of our children. The other day, my wife and I were sitting in our room with our nine-year-old. And again, we're talking about uncomfortable conversations here. And when she can look at me and tell me, Dad, when I see George Floyd on the ground, I see you. Oh, wow. Dad, I don't want you to leave because I don't want anything to happen to you. When your granddaughter can come to me and tell me, Mr. Antonio, I don't want this to affect the relationship that I have with your daughter. These are uncomfortable conversations that we've had at home forever. 
at home. I had these same conversations with my mom. My mom had them with her mom. And the challenge and the understanding is the fact that these can't, these uncomfortable conversations can't just happen in our homes. These are conversations that need to happen in all of our homes. Because here's the thing. We always say, I don't raise my child to see color. I don't raise my child to see color. I don't see color. Yes, we do. Because if you don't see color, you don't see me. If I don't see color, I don't see you. We have a a two-year-old son, and everything he sees, he calls out the color. Hmm. Daddy, that's black, that's blue, that's red, that's green. We teach kids to see color. Seeing color isn't a problem. The problem comes when we judge the color and we stereotype the color. Yeah, yes. It's interesting when you look in Scripture, uh, the book of Revelation, John is caught up in heaven, Revelation chapter 7, and he describes heaven. He said, in heaven I see people of every nation, tongue, tribe, and kindred. And I point out to people, in heaven we do not lose our racial identity that's uh, how God created us continues in heaven and God celebrates that and what what is celebrated in heaven is sometimes punished on earth and that's a disparity that's a sin that we have to acknowledge and deal with systemic racism systemic racism is is racism that's in the country now I, I know that all of us, self-included, have seen the news of sometimes of a white supremacist. And we mm-hmm. probably, for the most part, we, we are repulsed by that. We're, a, we're deeply offended by that overt racism. But say, you know, I don't do that. I'm not there. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not engaged in that activity. But there is something that's called systemic racism. Systemic racism is racism in the culture. We have laws against it, but yet it exists because it's systemic. It's in the culture. Uh, And that is to say overt behavior can be wrong, but it still allows the attitude to exist. And the Bible tells us that not only am I responsible for my actions, I'm responsible for my attitudes. And there is that systemic racism in America that just allows it to be perpetuated Mm -hmm. God's word is against it God's word is against it and from your perspective I'd like to hear from from a black man's perspective Mm -hmm. uh, systemic racism and how how that is in in your view uh, exists whether we're talking about systemic racism racism or prejudice in general I think, and, I, and I've said this quite often, there are three words that we have to understand the significance of them and how they actually translate and align with racism. Okay. One of them is sympathy. One of them is apathy. And the other one is empathy. We have to understand what these words mean and how they translate in accordance to racism. Sympathy. That's basically saying, I want you to feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. I am a very, very blessed man. I love who I am. I Mm. love everything about my culture, and I love who my mother raised me to be. So don't feel sorry for me. We don't want sympathy. We don't need sympathy. Apathy is a disinterest because it does not impact you. There's a lot of apathy, a lot of apathy. Well, you know, racism, yeah, but it doesn't really hit me, so I don't want anything to do with it. 
I would love for this country to practice more empathy. Empathy, empathy means I'm in your shoes and I'm seeing things from your perspective. Okay. What does that lean into that? What does empathy uh, give us some examples of that? And particularly, let's frame that in a faith community perspective. What does, what are, what's empathy look and feel like? Empathy looks and feels like, um, in Hebrews 13, God says, remember those that are mistreated and feel their pain as if it's in your own body. So you know what you hear all the time when you say black lives matter? The response is, no, 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 all lives matter. We're talking about empathy here. Yes. First and foremost, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Yes. And I want to put this in a, in, a, in a scriptural sense. Please. In Luke 15, the parable is about the 100 sheep. One sheep got away. One. And the Lord left the 99. The shepherd left the 99. Does that mean that the 99 sheep didn't matter? Or was the one important because that one was in danger? Yes. Me, being 45 years old, accomplishing all I've accomplished in my life, I am intelligent. I am smart. I am a God-fearing man. I am a loving husband and a present father. And me and anybody else in here looking like me, they feel like we are in danger. My son, who just turned two this past Thursday, I feel like he's in danger. So it's not the fact that the ever 99 didn't matter. But the one was in danger is the one that the shepherd went to get. But what's not important is just that. When he brings it back, what he says yeah. is, when I brought that one back on my shoulders, we all rejoiced in heaven. Which means that's what the Lord wants to see. The thing is, in Revelations, it says it. The Lord embraces diversity. Yes. He embraces diversity. I've had a ton of colleagues, former teammates, everybody reaching out to me about what to say, what to do. And some have even told me, you know what, Antonio, I almost feel guilty for being white. You should never feel guilty for who the Lord has created you to be. Never feel guilty for that. The Lord embraces Diversity. Don't feel guilty for who the Lord has created you to be. Feel guilty for being silent in a time where your voice needs to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I find that a lot of America and a lot of the faith community, we can agree with some of the propositions all people are created equal. I get amens to that. That God loves everybody, I get amens to that. For God so loved the world, he gave his, whoever believes, I can get amens to that. That when we speak in generalities, but when you begin to tell stories, the stories that make that disparity real and painful, then that's where the tension is. That's where the, sometimes the division and, and the deep, the deep pain, I... Uh, I, I've heard in social media and other places the, the George Lloyd and the, the narrative goes about, well, he was this and, you know, was there drugs in it? And, and that's a sidebar. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. There was a, it's one of God's creation and God, there was a black man with 
somebody's knee on his neck for nearly nine minutes and he says I can't breathe uh, that when it becomes a story that's so painful for me but pastor th this this is not for me this isn't a black white issue this isn't a black blue issue this is a right wrong issue there it is this is a heart issue this is a justice versus injustice issue and what America will bring us to do to divide us apart is saying you have to be black or white. No, this is not a black or white issue. You know, like if I say, why is it debatable? Mm. Why is it controversial to say black lives matter? Why is that controversial? What's controversial in saying that? Yeah. Why is equality debatable? Think about the conversations that we're having. As a black man, what I'm saying is, I'm not a threat. Don't view me as a threat. Practice restraint with me, the same restraint that you practice with others. Don't kill me and don't kneel on my neck. And you know what the response to that has been? But wait, think about that. Think about that. The, the, the response is, but wait. But we call ourselves children of God. Yeah. I do not want to make this a black and white issue or a black lives versus blue lives issue because I understand all cops are not bad by no stretch of the imagination. My niece is a deputy sheriff in Tampa, and I had the most heartbreaking conversation with her a few days ago because she is on the front lines in Tampa fighting. Yeah. On the front lines in Tampa. So I know all cops aren't bad. I know all white people and people that don't look like me are not racist. Some of my best friends are white. My wife is Hispanic. Believe me, I understand this, but the same energy that we use in those avenues, we need to practice those when looking at me and guys that look like me to understand that all cops aren't bad, all people that don't look like me are racist, but we aren't all threats either. The conversation of this, this topic and this dialogue, uh, it has to enter our homes and our hearts, and, and we have to reinforce that value. Uh, it, it cannot just be a social media post. It, it can't be just a mental ascent. When we talk about uncomfortable conversations, yes. Pastor, and this is something that you can answer in your own mind. What are you teaching your child at home that when he becomes of age, he won't want to kill mine? What am I teaching my child at home when they become of age that they don't resent yours? See, here's the thing about uncomfortable conversations. We always talk about generational curses within the church and how certain things are passed down from generation to generation. Hate is passed down from generation to generation. Racism is passed down from generation to generation. Uncomfortable conversations are passed down from generation to generation. And if we're not willing to have these uncomfortable conversations in our home with our children, the world will have them. That's right. And you know what comes from that? That's where racism comes in. Because now, as opposed to our children getting thoughts on kids that don't look like them at school, they're getting them from media. 
They're not hearing it at home. The uncomfortable conversations that blacks have had in their homes forever need to happen in all homes. So the conversation that you and I are having right now that my son is not having with someone else 20 years from now or 30 years from now, as much as we love, we have to understand and embrace the calling that we have as parents now to actually put a stop to this systemic racism, to this prejudice, to this hate that is taking over our country right now because our, our children don't deserve to think the way that they're thinking right now. Absolutely. You, you made a comment that, that generational curses passed down and racism passed down. Uh, that's because it's sin and sin passes down. For by one man's sin, sin entered to the world and death by sin passed unto all men. Racism is sin because it violates the image of God and it violates the nature of God. And I think bringing it down to, for the faith community, to that, I, I say stories. Stories make propositions real. Mm -hmm. Pastoring a, a, a multicultural congregation, there is a story that was shared uh, with me by a Hispanic member of my congregation years ago and I'll never, rem I'll never forget this and there are these moments it was a story that became real and said to me I, in the San Antonio school district there was a time in which on the playground if they spoke English excuse me if they didn't speak English and they spoke Spanish they put out their hand and the teacher slapped it with a ruler and I that was like you're kidding me. You're, and that was a moment. That became real to me. And I committed in my heart and my mind as a pastor, no Hispanic will ever feel the slap from my attitude and my behavior. That will never happen in, under my watch. Uh, the African Americans, we have, I'm blessed to have that representation here in the congregation, and I, I want to affirm, I'm here to bring an uncomfortable conversation in the, in the forefront, and I'm hearing, if you please, the slap. I'm hearing that in their voice. They're telling me the story. I need to hear that story because it awakens my conscience, my God conscience, and stirs my, stirs my heart. Uh, when you shared with me how your mother told you and your brother yeah. as kids what to do and if accosted or approached, put your hands up and the precaution and let's just be honest, white parents don't tell their children that. They've never had to have that kind of conversation and that feels like a slap in my heart and I'm grieved by that. Uh, Antonio, what can I, what can, what can we as, I'm going to speak for, vicariously for the white community, what can we do to bring hope and uh, advance justice and uh, 
empathy for I, the African-American community? I, I think first and foremost, I think the big thing is, is conversations like this and the reasons these, are, these conversations are so relevant and so important because we have to listen to one another. And I think that's where has really divided America so much. We live in a time now where if I say something and you don't agree with what I'm saying, mm. I don't want to hear you anymore. And we have to continue to, to listen to each other, I think is, is first and foremost. And also, in Matthew 22, it says, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, right? Yes. All your heart, soul, and your mind. And. 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 Love your neighbor as yourself. That means looking in the mirror. We need more and. We need more and. We do need more and. Also, it's funny because we've had these conversations, so it's weird. We constantly hear, whether it's in social media or some of you talking to, Lord, heal our land. Heal our land. Before you are healed, you have to be diagnosed. If you go to the doctor and you say, you know what, doctor? I'm sick, heal me. Mm. He won't heal you then. He has to diagnose you first. Yes. Which means, okay, we'll give you an x-ray or we'll take your blood pressure. And if nothing is revealed then, then they go deeper. And they say, okay, well, maybe you need an EKG or an MRI. With America, we, have, we actually have to establish what needs healing. Yes. Which brings that uncomfortable conversation. We have to say, Lord, heal our land from racism. Heal our land from prejudice, from all races. Heal our land from systemic racism. Heal our land from inequality. We don't want to have those conversations. We like to keep it general and say, Lord, there's nothing wrong with being specific as far as what needs healing. But for something to need healing, it needs acknowledging. That's true. It's tough to acknowledge something is an issue mm. when you continue to sweep it under the rug. Well, Antonio, I want to thank you for having this conversation both Wednesday and today. Uh, and for just a moment, if I could speak to our Westover family, both online and in the room. My purpose here today is, is to bring up a conversation and enter into it redemptively. And I would be remiss if I didn't just say overtly, Racism in all forms and fashion is offensive to God. It is a sin. The Bible is about grace, not about race. God never sets anybody aside in any category based upon their ethnicity. God basically has two categories in his word, and that is the saved and the unsaved. And we read in Revelation that the saved are of every nation, tongue, tribe, and kindred. Why speak up on this? I, I've got some communications and hallway conversations. Pastor, why would you open this wound up in the church? Jesus, Jesus was always impartial, but Jesus was seldom politically correct. 
Jesus dove into the subjects and turned money the money changers' tables upside down. He challenged Rome and he challenged the religious system of that day. Jesus was seldom politically correct, but he was always impartial. And I'm by no means comparing myself to Jesus, but I, I want to model his character and his example. Racism in America, systemic racism in America, it lurks in areas that many of us are not having conversations and we're oblivious to. When Jesus was on the cross, the brutality and the mistreatment he received, he prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus could not pray that prayer today because we do know better. We do know better. We as a faith community must accept the challenge. In the book of Daniel, chapter number 9, and at your leisure, I invite you to read verse 4 through 19. Daniel begins to confess sin. And he said, Lord, we have not listened to your prophets. We have violated your commandments. And he'll say in that, in that context, in that, those verses, he says, and shame is upon us. Then he says something because of the sins of our ancestors. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, in our very individualistic mentality in America, we don't understand that. Oh, I didn't do it. I didn't, I, I'm not a slave owner, and I'm against it, and I, I, I'm not marching in the streets with white racism. I, I'm not a part of that. But here's what Scripture says. You may not have started it, but it is our responsibility to end it. And he said, Daniel did. He said, the sins of my ancestors are upon me. And I bear the shame until I repent of it. Scripture says that the sin is visited the third and fourth generation. I, 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 I was not a slave owner, but my country did, and it was allowed and excused. So it's incumbent upon me to approach this with repentance. And as Daniel said, I've got to repent for the sins of my ancestors. In Matthew chapter 25... Jesus gives a discussion of a parable most Americans, again, don't understand the theology of this particular verse. Because in the theology of this verse, Jesus is not judging individuals. And we very much have thought, well, you know, if I didn't do it, then I'm not responsible for it. Here the Bible says that Jesus is going to judge the nations. Isn't that interesting? Judge the nations. And the nations are judged upon one thing. How did you treat the disenfranchised? Jesus is going to say, judgment is upon you. They're going to say, why? Why are we being judged? He said, because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, when I was weak and I was without, you didn't come to me. You didn't intend to me. And they said, we didn't do that, Lord, do you? He said, yes, you did. When you did it to the least of these. Let me use another word. When you did it to the minority, you did it to me. And here we realize in God's books, the majority is judged by their treatment of the minority. And we must take ownership of that. So in this moment, I want to create an acrostic out of the word hope 
H-O-P-E, four words I want to give us that we can be proactive in responding to racism in our culture and systemic racism. How are we going to respond? H-O-P-E, H, humility, humility. No, I didn't cause it, but I need to own it. It was in my ancestors. I need to not go around as a, as a white man pointing fingers. I, I, need to, I need to not let my, my white blind spots enter conversations and excuses. I must approach this with humility. Oh, open-mindedness. I must be willing to have conversations without getting into arguments. I must be willing to be open-minded and have understanding, not casting blame, listening, listening to the story. P-H-O-P, proactive, proactive. In other words, you know if you shoot enough arrows at a target, you're going to finally hit the target. And we can be proactive. Every one of us, there is a circle of influence we have. You have social power I don't have. There are areas in your workplace, you're an employer, you're a supervisor, you're a part of the community. You, have, you, you will go to family reunions I'll never be invited to. You, you have a social network and you can use your voice and you can lift up your influence in those areas and that is important. Please be proactive. I have a very small platform. I'm not a national uh, personality. I, I just pastor a, a multicultural church in northwest San Antonio. But I want to steward and be proactive of the platform that I have. E, H-O-P-E, engagement. Engagement. And that is, in other words, don't sit on the sidelines. Engage it. What can we do? Well, if you're an employer, you can pay African-American people the same wage you'd pay a, an Anglo or a white person in the same company. You can hire. You can affirm. We can, we can engage it in places of influence. We can, we can make a deposit into culture today. When you see something uh, on the news or news report, a show, a television, and it brings up the subject of morality or, or racism, have the conversation, engagement with your family. Refuse to sit and listen to ethnic jokes. We refuse to just say when something's happening in the workplace, well, you know, I've got something else to do. I've got a phone call to make. No, engage it. Walk out on it and let everybody know why you're walking out on it. Register your influence in that area. There is a phrase in the last line of what our Pledge of Allegiance calls us to. Is we'll put our hand over our heart. Here's what we say and do. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. You know why there's not liberty and justice for all? 
because we're failing to be a nation under God and that puts a responsibility upon the faith community. Because there's no way I can embrace this book and have an attitude of racism and because we've taken this from the center, it allows us to be selective in justice. And I will never again say the words liberty and justice for all without a new level of meeting. In the United States, in over 40 states, including the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, there are over 900 streets that bear the name Martin Luther King Drive. Over 900. There's one here in San Antonio. And I dare say many of us have never driven down that road. It's simply perhaps not on the pathway that we'd go to the grocery store or the doctor or to work. That's all right. I'm not, I'm not making a value judgment upon actually being on the road. But what I'd like to say metaphorically, many of us have never stepped on the road of Martin Luther King, the path he walked down. And that is to contend for, for j- uh, racial justice for all. And I'm going to invite you to get on that road. I'm going to invite you to get on that path. Humility, open-mindedness, proactive, and engagement. Abraham Lincoln stood on a bloody battlefield at Gettysburg where Confederate and Union soldiers died. And it seems to epitomize the, the strive and the condition of our nation. At that time, we were killing each other. And this this issue of racism was core to that conversation at that time and when he dedicated that hollowed ground Abraham Lincoln uttered these words and it's now my prayer he said our nation our nation needs a new birth of freedom I call us to that people of faith let's contend Let's believe. Lift your voice, lift your heart, and lift your prayer. America needs a new birth of freedom. And I'm going to invite us to pray to that end today. And I'm going to ask Antonio to join me. His hand right here. A black man and a white man on this platform. And as I hold Antonio's hand, I can feel his heartbeat. And I'm saying, God, let me feel the heartbeat of the black community in America and their pain at this time. Let's pray. Father, I bow in humility. My heart is pained over the division, the distress, the conflict where we are in America now and it doesn't match what you intend for this nation. First, make us a nation under God so we can model the highest values and principles. We, God, are repudiated by racism and its conflict. We refuse to get involved in the the meaningless talk and the insults. We're not going to get involved in that, but we're going to raise to a higher standard. God, forgive us for systemic racism. Forgive us for apathy 
and forgive us for mistaken sympathy for empathy. I, I am no doubt guilty of that, God. Forgive me. And Lord, let me lead my congregation. Let me lead the people that you've given me charge over this beautiful Westover family. Many colors, many backgrounds, many races represented. And I want to pastor your people. If Jesus can go to the cross for them, I can cross the street for them. I can open my ear for them. And I can open my heart. And I pray, God, guide Westover to be a positive influence. Heal our land. Heal the brokenness. God, forgive. Forgive the the hurt that has been caused. And I bless. I bless my African-American brothers and sisters. Let them feel the arms of the Heavenly Father this Sunday, this Lord's Day. Loving them. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Antonio, thank you. We have posted our Wednesday discussion online. It's about an hour plus discussion. And we've added it to the weekend. This service will be posted online for your uh, ability to go back and access it. And again, I know we're not here to cure everything. I know we can't. But it seemed like silence was not an option because silence is the seeds of injustice. And we wanted to just listen and as a pastor, add our voice to the conversation of healing and moving beyond this to racial reconciliation in America. Again, to our graduates, Congratulations, we have a photo station in the main lobby if you'd like to stop by. And according to state guidelines, I have to dismiss uh, for by sections for social distancing purposes. So allow me to do that. Balcony, I'm going to dismiss you. And I'm going to dismiss this section here. And I'm going to dismiss these two sections over here. And if the rest of us can just uh, hold on for a moment, I will give them a chance to uh, step out of the building out of the aisleways here in the auditorium and then we'll dismiss you uh, thank you for joining wonderful to have you in our first 1130 service today I'm going to go ahead and dismiss these sections over here I'll wait till the crowd subsides a little bit here to dismiss this section right here. This section, I believe, you can be dismissed. God bless you. We love you.